0: Radio Outcast is an enigmatic gunslinging podcast for mature audiences. Content warning. This episode contains depictions of implied violence, non-consensual kissing, and cults at the end of the episode, which may be upsetting for some listeners. We encourage our listeners to prioritize their safety before venturing ahead. Thank you.
1: Jericho, I'll tell you. I learned through accident. Some years ago, was on a cattle drive with my pa, must have been 9 years old. We were taking the Shishom trail through some Indian territory. Lots of waterways out there. A 100-mile drive could end up 300 or more. Couldn't afford losing cattle to a loose river stone. Had to guide them up and around. The cows got tired quick. So he stopped at the foot of Sands Boy's small mountain range in the southeast Oklahoma region. He had the last of winter's snow melting down the trees. Kept the ground soft, too difficult to drive the cattle across. That night, as typical, Pa sent me out on head count. Started about 80-some cattle, and counted up 80-some. No surprises there. Old Jacob Rogers was good for hire because he wasn't going to lose a single damn head. Now, during camp, I noticed something strange. A couple of the younger cows were getting thin. They were starting to look like the rabbits we'd find here and there along the trail. He'd struck dead and bone skinny. Pa figured it must have been the stress from the journey. He sent me by the campfire and told me to hold on. Some several hours later, he came back with a Choctaw doctor. Now, she didn't speak English, and he didn't speak Choctaw. This weren't anything new. Me and Paul traded with tribes all across the South and West, most of them refusing years of governmental pressure to learn English. Don't mean we couldn't trade goods, though. So they went on through gestures. Pa pointing out the sick cattle and the woman investigating. Once she made her mind, the doctor reached into her sack and pulled out an old water-worn Bible. The Choctaw doctor took a reed pen and some pig blood, flipped to a page, wrote out four English words, die, mother, other, red. Paul gave her some bird bones and deer meat, were goods from a recent hunt, and all we had for trade. Then the doctor went on her way. Next morning, I asked my pa what her words meant. Die, mother, other, red. He figured the calves got stressed from seeing corpses along the trail. I asked him, why? It ain't like they're seeing no dead cows, just a bunch of jackrabbits. And he said, it don't matter. Seeing them dead things made them worried sick for their mothers. I said, not worried for themselves? And boss said, of course. Every living thing worries about itself. You see something running alongside the road, you think, that could have been me. Thing is, if you die, you don't got to deal with all the grief. But even a calf knows. Once you lose your parents, you're all alone. Uh. About Jericho That page the doctor wrote on and tore from her Bible She handed it to Paul Now he had no need to keep that So once he figured the problem He crumbled the page and tossed it Figured some white men tried to convert the Choctaw folks with literature But they just kept the Bibles for spare parts Using them like scrap paper Anyways, when old Jacob Rogers wasn't looking, I picked that page right off the ground and uncrumpled it. The page told about the ancient city of Jericho, told about his formidable fortress, told about the man named Joshua who planned on conquering the city. That page cut off before I could get the rest of the story, but I like to imagine old Joshua did what he needed to do. Jacob... Jesse, Joshua, I don't know, something I think about every now and again. (coughs) That beeping machine guided us towards some old army fortress, me, Helix, and Charles. We'd long walked the Yellowstone River. And found ourselves in the cold and green Montana region. Nothing but flat land in that babbling yellowstone till we saw what seemed like a long castle in the distance. Figured immediately it was an army station being situated like that on the river. Good for resources, transportation, all sorts. Except there weren't a damn soul in sight. No rifle training on the lawns. No hip-yup formations marching left and right following some rich man's son's orders. Just a long wall with towers looming deep inside. Something was off. But we trekked on. And see, here I was reminded of old Jericho. The walls of that white stone fortress getting taller and wider as we closed in. A sign that said, Fort Kiev. I imagine, years ago, thousands of years back, old Joshua and his army rode up on great walls like these. Except Biblical Joshua knew what waited behind his gates. Nothing but a few cowardly cannonites. At this Fort Keeoff, well, all we got was a cold wind whispering down from the curtain walls. And so I wondered, anyone home?
2: love a good celebration. Mm. Given the right environment and a gathering of eager spirits, I could toast toward any cause. Oh, have you found a button in your salad? Let us toast to that. It's merely a part of the dressing. <laughs> and has your wife struck you upside the head with a broom? Very well, a toast to you, sir, for at least she struck you with the soft end. And what's that? You've stumbled upon an old fortress in Montana, where in a village of squatters dance and sing for reasons obscure? No.
3: I think the TCM is telling us to go inside.
1: Don't look like Army folk to me. I suppose I should be grateful. <laughs>
2: The fortress's entry gate had a green circular emblem painted onto a ratty cloth. In the center of the emblem, three wheat leaves. Uh, This designation seemed clear. Across the long interior yard of the fortress, the inhabitants had cultivated fields of vegetation, young fruit trees, and wooden casks no doubt meant for delicious brewery. (laughs) What once was an imposing white fortress for the American army had been repurposed into a village and, on this particular morning, a festival grounds. From outside the green emblemed gate, We spied, perhaps, one hundred villagers, spinning around in circles around a central bonfire. I could not discern the cause for celebration, but there were foamy beverages and roasted meats and exuberant hollers. And how could I resist? So, shall we stand here and merely review the party from afar? It was not a true question, for as soon as I finished asking it, I flapped the reins on my steed and strode forward. No doubt, the goddess and revenant cowboy could dispute until the moon crows.
3: It's just, we don't have the best luck with, um, parties. Remember the mayor's mansion?
2: Helix had her eternal reservations. (laughs) Eternal, in the most literal sense, of course. (laughs) But should we not celebrate life when given the chance? As I neared the green-emblemed entry gate, a couple men in dirty gray hats pushed it open and waved us inside. They both looked drunken to a defect.
1: Looks like that one pissed
3: himself. Ugh, can't say I haven't been there.
2: It seemed the residents had repurposed an old artillery cannon into some sort of festival bauble. As the stone shot flew above our heads, our three horses stomped the earth and whined as if to say, Nope, no further. See yourselves inside. And so we obliged. We lowered ourselves from the saddles and followed our dear Sony machine's pulsing direction. Onward into the fray, the flock of raucous drunks dressed in their tiresome greys. Ah, the Midwest.
3: when I had all my godly capacities, alcohol had the same effect on me as water. Nothing. Gods are always hydrated. And that so-called buzz humans talk about? Yeah, never felt that. Not until I had all my powers stripped away, of course. So I guess I'll thank Emmy for that. I mean, she might be the most selfish, possessive, heartless, conniving, and cruel, manipulative, and... And did I say cruel? And cruel deity to have ever graced the great fucking cosmos. But hey, at least now I can get tipsy. These people know how to party! Here, I got a mug for each of us.
2: Was in a most foamy delight... (laughs)
3: Oh, <laughs> Hope you've got a stomach, Jesse. This shit is strong. <coughs> <coughs>
1: oh. Well? Tastes like
2: boot. Mm, but <clears throat> the trained tongue would call it citric with pioneer undertones, no? <clears throat>
4: Mm-mm.
2: I say, boot.
3: Ugh, whatever. Let's toast.
1: <coughs> ah... <coughs>
3: All right, boys, I'm going that way. Let's meet at that flagpole and let's say, 30? Oh, and don't leave your drinks alone.
1: Part Do what?
3: Oh, okay, right. Warehouse rules. In the city, a party could show up at any time, at any place. A parking garage, a rail yard, an abandoned bodega. But most of the time, in the 80s, the other 80s, the one that's a 100 years away, it was old warehouses. And while they had a certain je ne sais quoi that I loved, they could get pretty sketchy. Yeah, Mom, I know. As a god, I didn't need to worry, but I had human friends. So we made the warehouse rules. Check in every half hour, watch your drinks, and most of all, most important, most essential... Don't make out with randos. Okay, see that flag over there? The one with the, uh, uh, hand reaching up to the sun? So, in half an hour, we'll meet beneath- Um. Then some old woman stepped right between us. Like, literally stepped right in front of me while I was talking, and just smiled. Um, hello? Hello? Can I help you?" But she didn't respond. She just gave me a big, wrinkly smile.
1: Hey, uh, Helix. are just trying to hand you some.
3: I looked down at the woman's hand. She was holding a purple flower petal. Maybe a geranium? Ah, I don't know. I was weirded out.
5: <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just Miss Eve. She wants you to have a gift.
3: Behind me was some farmer guy. Or at least, he looked like one. Nobody else had a straw hat on except him. Ugh, and he had that tan. Ugh, I'm aware. Valley girls, farmer guys, my weaknesses. Oh, um, okay. Sure. The woman, Miss Eve, I guess, gave all three of us a purple flower petal.
5: Hey, not to be a bother, but I, um, noticed that you're barefoot.
3: Yeah. Uh, is that a problem?
5: Oh, oh, no. Not at all. I'm sorry. My name's Mata. We're just stomping cherries over there. To make jam. If you want to join.
3: I looked down and noticed Mata was barefoot, too. And he had a reddish tint to the bottom of his feet. And a big, goofy smile. You know what? Sure. Okay, I'll see you guys in 30! At the flag!
1: To tell true, was near sick of seeing those two faces been months now stuck with old barefoot and jack of so after helix went off i wandered around to the bonfire and took out this here notebook started reading up on old entries wondering how the hell i ended up in cold green montana folks around me kept on with their drinking dancing throwing purple flowers up in the air got me wondering what the hell all the occasion was. Well, right around Sunfall, folks started gathering around that front gate with that green circle on it. A couple guys went up to the ladder with some red paint, wrote on the wall, Brink City. Now, I've seen all sorts of shanty towns, Not my problem. Y'all want to claim an old army fort? Raise your own flag? Be my guest. But when Cleveland sends his boys back, Brink City better know how to do more than drink, dance, and throw flowers around.
2: There you are. Scribbling away, no doubt. Well, I've been planted at that flagpole for nearly half a lifetime. You do remember it, yes? The one with the poorly illustrated hand raising toward the sun or have you already gotten lost in that weather diary of yours Uh, and what of Helix perhaps the goddess only knows how to set rules and where has she run off to over there stomping chairs oh still at that you would think the world supply would be jammed by now well no matter seems she found a lumpish companion for the night someone else too tired with her prattling no as she is. The prattler between us 3 <laughs> mm-hmm. Indeed. And it should come as no surprise that I've found myself a small audience to entertain. Uh, you know, when I'm not idling at the rendezvous aimlessly waiting for either of my associates. Yep. Indeed. And perhaps I've found myself a few protégés. A few of the men are quite fascinated with my cartographic expertise. And rightfully so. They've even inquired how I might help to chart a map from here
0: all the Sir, way to the. M- if I may have your attention.
2: No, bro. Excuse me.
1: Woman had a big gray hood pulled over her head. Hiding her face.
0: Thank you. I only mean to give welcome to Bring City. I've seen you turning pages for quite some time. We have a small but sufficient library up through the next two gates. You might find that more suitable for your reading. A quieter place. But
2: not I. I assure you, I have read Putnam's Monthly since I was young. Just lead high. the
1: way, ma'am.
2: I said to her, Madam, I've not seen your missing calf. In fact, I've not seen higher than your ankle. (laughs) Uh. Was I perhaps a tad besmirched that both my companions had been whisked away, recruited for the twinkle in their eyes while I spent the following three hours proving myself to this cohort of gentlemen, listing my achievements, charming with my wit? Not at all, for I stumbled upon the only squatter who mattered in all of so-called Brink City, a man known as the Commandant. He wore a most colorless gray garb as the general population did, but his social position was made evident upon arrival. An imposing stance, his posture as straight and narrow as the flagpole I stood beneath, and the Commandant wore a wide-brimmed Minuteman's hat that cast quite the shadow. In the center of the hat's crown, a circular red emblem which contained the illustration of a dagger. It seemed to distinguish himself and those men under his command from the green wheat emblem on the main entry gate. Although how these coded emblems work, I had no idea. Perhaps the squatters were performing a fantasy of civilization. Nevertheless, with a self-ordained title such as the Commandant, I was none too surprised by the man's grandiosity. I was smitten by his martial pageantry. It seemed quite earnest, if not somewhat childlike. Thus, I humored him. Mr. Osgood, was it? Good
5: to meet you, sir. I administer the keepers here in Brink City. You'll recognize
2: us from our hats. We wear the crimson badge of arms. See? Ah, so it is function over form here, I see. I I must confess, I'm somewhat relieved. I thought a delusion of Grey had run rampant. Not a chance, sir. Uniformity reminds us, we're each all equals. A quaint notion. Do the green and red emblems not imply some gesture toward hierarchy? Perhaps this community has some manifesto that formally outlines its castes, classes, sects, tribes, so forth in such a way that outsiders do not take authority from one over the other. But truly, an emblem with darling wheat leaves placed beside a blood-shaded emblem with a dagger? (laughs) Perhaps I'm a cynic. Nevertheless, as the night grew heavy and the flagpole continued to stand unaccompanied by my former companions, I followed the horde of grey-topped gentlemen toward their so-called barracks. Just like the entry gate, the fort's second gate remained closed until my company arrived upon its threshold. That same crimson dagger emblem hung on its metal bars. A peculiar choice, I would think, that the armed individuals are not stationed near the primary entrance. But, who am I but a wandering cartographer? And so, the keepers, as they claim themselves to be, opened the second gate, and the commandant guided us through. Deep in the fortresses afar, there rose what must have been the third and final gate. At the bonfire, that unusual librarian made mention of this gate, that the library would be located beyond a third checkpoint, where Jesse would need to pass through. It was much too far to ascertain a coded emblem of any sort, but it seemed numerous individuals guarded its flanks. As I passed through a second large gate that night, I spied a third and final gate in the distance. However, it was closed, and yet, Did that brainy woman not guide Jesse beyond two gates? Mr. Commandant, sir, I have an inquiry about that gate out there. Oh, no doubt.
5: I shall tell you all about it. Mr. Osgood, because your curiosity is encouraging, perhaps you'd assist me with mapping guard patrols. They could rightly use a shrewd eye.
2: Me? Well, I. It'd be my pleasure. An honor, Your Honor. <laughs> Perhaps a cigar could assist us as well. And some more of those fizzy goods. <laughs> <laughs>
5: We'll pick off one more tree, then we can sneak off for some shade.
3: Um your friends won't mind? It seems like the other people, uh the other makers looks like nah, they're still.
5: You're a guest. Can't make you do a whole day's picking.
3: But it's relaxing, and I I haven't felt this calm in a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> No, Mom. Nothing happened that night. Me and Mata literally just pitted cherries and then stomped on them until we got tired. That might sound boring, but eh, I don't know. I had a really, really good time. It made me think of me and Dre's first date. Out on the Brooklyn Heights promenade, laughing at how ridiculous everyone acted. Posh, walking their Dalmatians, completely ignorant of the people and beautiful scenery around them. (laughs) Dre called them fancy husks. I thought that was fitting. We leaned over the railing and tossed bread into the water, watching the ducks squabble and flap around. It was... uh, uh, I didn't know what I had. Dre was the first time I I really understood the span of a human life. So... So so, very short.
5: Look, that tree has good shade. We can hear the river from it.
3: Sure, but I, the other makers are still working, and, and I'd feel bad if. Come on. If I'd.
5: I want to show you something, anyways. Little thing I drew.
3: Last night we fell asleep outside the tub where we smashed cherries. They're called Napoleons. Bright red with little yellow bellies. And this morning, when we walked into the orchard, I saw dozens of people, makers, picking from trees. So, I meant to ask, why do you call yourself and and them, makers?
5: Oh, it's a a sort of organization thing. Keeps things simple. You see this on my shirt? It's our emblem. Our community has three of them. Green, red, and blue. You can always tell someone's duties from it. it. Doesn't mean much more than that.
3: I was starting to learn that Mata liked being brief. He led us to the cherry tree, and we sat beneath the shade, stretching out. When he pulled his straw hat off, a curtain of hair fell down to his shoulders. Mata tucked it behind his ears. I could tell he was getting nervous.
5: <sighs> All right. Please don't laugh. There wasn't much light to draw by.
3: He pulled a small notebook from his back pocket and flipped through the pages. Then he stopped and handed it over to me. Oh. Oh, this is... Is this me? (laughs) When did you even...
5: Last night. You fell asleep pretty fast. (laughs) I hope you don't mind.
3: As a god, you should probably get used to these things, but, uh, I never could. It was a sketch of me. I had my hand raised high and the sun burning bright above me. I looked, I don't know, divine? In one way, I was totally flattered. I mean, a farmer boy with that hair giving me a drawing like that? He even got my brow bones down accurately. So many of these reverent illustrations the gods receive, they get all the details wrong. Humans love to draw us with big white wings and golden halos, all that typical shit, you know? But Mada's drawing, it was me. My lightning bolt earrings, my bare feet, my dirty as hell but still stylish as hell dress. But then there's my hand, raised trying to grab the sun. He drew the sky as if the clouds were parting for me. For a second, I was scared. Did Mata know who I was, somehow? Or or could he just sense it? (sighs) But I didn't want to think about that. I just wanted it to be what it seemed. A sweet drawing from a sweet guy.
0: morning, sir. Have you been reading all
1: night? Shit. Must have gotten lost in the literature. Once that librarian, that's how she referred to herself, the librarian. Once she brought me to the library, I got knee deep in the books. Must have been 12 hours. Got through an autobiography on Frederick Douglass and a couple dime novels on Deadwood Dick. Also learned the history of this Fort Keogh. Seems after the Civil War, the Union decided to abandon the fort. Beyond that, glimpsed through the lots and lots of books on the stars. Seem these folks loved their physics literature. Had all sorts of handwritten notes in the margins, stuff like the divine firmament and ascension. Found that real, real interesting. Yeah. Skim through just about everything. Some were alright. Figure I could have written some of them better.
0: Well, that's... that's good. Perhaps some rest, do you think?
1: Maybe. Got a question first. You wrote this book here?
0: Me. And a few others.
1: Was a thin thing. More of a pamphlet. Handwritten had a title, The Thinker's Manifesto. About 50 pages. With drawings. Anytime I see the word manifesto, I don't get good feelings. Particularly from folks who've just claimed an abandoned fort.
0: I was unaware I left that in here.
1: You didn't. Now, suppose you're a thinker. Book says you all wear those big hoods, thinkers. What are y'all so curious about? Must be some important thoughts, being hidden behind two gates in a small army.
0: Is there a more specific question I might answer, Mr. Rogers?
1: Yeah, I got a habit. Not telling strange folks my name. Didn't like the cut of her jib. Right from the start, seemed too convenient, too specific. Why'd she take so much interest in me at the bonfire? Sure wanted me to get separated from my group, didn't she? Soon as that librarian fell asleep last night, I scoped out the building. Got all these little rooms connected, each of them for a thinker. Well, I found the librarian's room. She was sleeping real peaceful, found an old wooden trunk in her bedroom and in that, books. Books like that Thinker's Manifesto, and most interesting, a book on opening up the firmament. To open up the sky, all they'd need is a sacrifice. Matter of fact, now I got two questions. You don't seem busy. First one is these great pylons y'all write about. I've seen your little illustrations. There are 12 of them, right? All in a circle. Seems you've constructed these towers yourself. You're going to tell me what they are and what they're meant for. And the last thing, this ritual y'all are planning. I read all about it. You need one maker one keeper, and one thinker. That right? Now, I don't expect y'all to sacrifice your own. <laughs> no, y'all would go get some poor suckers instead. And just like this book says, you choose them by giving each a petal from a purple flower. Huh, <laughs> now, don't that sound damn familiar? Sounds a lot like the petals you gave me and my companions at the bonfire don't it. Go on, Miss Eve. You're not fooling anybody. Pull that hood off and start talking. <laughs>
2: obelisk is not going anywhere. Perhaps the journey should be savored, Sonny, and less the itinerant destination. The esteemed commandant stationed me in a private quarters on the barracks highest floor. No doubt elevation implies prestige, and the commandant recognized me as August. ...company. (laughs) On the bedside table, the Commandant delivered me to a mug of delicious brew, one sweet roll, and the rudimentary maps for his Keeper's patrols. I relished this evening's peace. These past weeks, it's been one event after another, and though I'm no stranger to the bustle, I'd forgotten the gift of quiet introspection. And so, throughout the night, I'd contemplated his maps quite rudimentary indeed. It seemed the brawn of that half-town did little to renegotiate Fort Kioff's original footways. They merely divided the old military fortress into three precincts. Makers, Keepers, and Thinkers. Beyond that, this brink city, so they claimed it, was a lone dirt path leading from one section to the next. That's the extent of the Keepers' patrols. They march forward and backward and at Each gate, they march side to side. How quaint, if not incautious. (laughs) No doubt the keepers, for whatever they kept, were the brutes of the bunch. Always stomping about, huffing and grunting. Not that a heavy step should preclude intelligence, but more often than not, no, 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 I shouldn't. Despite their hatch slamming, I was pleased to wake in a private room, away from the prattling goddess and revenant cowboy, to be left to my graces. I rose from my lumpy bed and approached the wide Oriel window, looking out onto the stronghold. The alleged Brink City. At west, there was the Keeper's Gate, crossing the belly of the fortress, rising with a teetering bell tower. That which told again, for some reason, who could know? It did not seem to dictate time. And beyond the Keeper's Gate was the Maker's Precinct, farmland. And the common square, where we danced and drank that first eve, perhaps I thought I judged the commandant's drab mappings too harshly. were they not mere settlers occupying the tatters of oh, how came them so? Some of us are attempting thought here. <coughs> 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 Well, perhaps the Midwest makes up for its cultural anemia with oafish hubris. Nevertheless, I took back to the window and turned toward the east, where the Thinker's Gate was shut tight. Beyond its stone walls, a mere peppering of dwellings. One large central dome, I imagined to be the library, and a series of lodgings surrounding. Was Jesse not out there? And further still, in the farthest reaches of Brink City, I squinted, perhaps, a spiral of towers? At such a distance these seemed great, silhouetted fingers reaching out from the earth, though I could not discern the count. Now what in the god? I'd been locked from the outside in my room on the highest floor of the barracks. Perhaps this was a routine precaution, the keepers wishing me safe from their oafish tendencies. But, of course, the tune of my recent travels would have no such mercy. Something was afoot, and I'd no evident escape. (laughs)
5: Almost. Remember, thumb on the top. Throw it fast, not hard.
3: Mata came up behind me, the brim of his straw hat over my head. Then he pinched my middle finger and moved it beneath the stone. Finally! Oh my gods! I feel like I threw it at least a hundred! And then Mata turned me around and leaned forward. He kissed me. Oh. Oh no. No, 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 no. Don't. Don't make that face. I don't mean, oh, like. I'm.
5: <laughs> I thought. I'll just. I'll just jump in the river.
3: Oh, shut up. No. It, it just. It was unexpected. <laughs> it's fine, Mata. He looked defeated. Hands in his pockets, staring at the ground.
5: There isn't much time, is all. Better a fool than a big coward.
3: Ugh, don't have a cow. It's fine, okay? Wait, what do you mean, not much time? Mata looked out into the fields behind us. All the makers plucking away at the cherries, placing them into their bags.
5: Helix... If you wanted. I mean, no one is watching us.
3: I used to never feel alcohol. I used to never bleed. I used to never feel my heart drop until right there, in the orchard. But Mata couldn't know. He couldn't know that gods can't make love to humans. It drives them crazy. It it makes them unhealthy because I've seen it I've I've seen it and I will never have another Dre no I learned my lesson but there was something else Mata couldn't have known something that he said these past few weeks going from town to town we meet all sorts of people bandits underground worshippers, roller rink DJs. Sometimes we're friends, and sometimes we're not. But this is a totally strange and dangerous world to be mortal in, especially as someone who doesn't know how to be mortal. So I'm very, very careful about giving out my name. Marat, I know we've... Spent the past day together, so it would seem natural, but I. I never told you my name. He reached up to his straw hat and removed it. Then he snapped his fingers. All those makers in the field, the ones that weren't watching, They stood straight and turned. Cherries fell from their hands. Dozens of makers. They started walking, then running toward me. When they looked at Mata, they called him Seer. The Seer.
0: Seer, I have the rope. Give the word.
5: Yes, bind her, and send word to Eve, we're in route with the sacrifice.
0: Radio Outcast was created by Maria Fernanda Vidorrazaga and J.T. Lachasse and produced by Anne Hughes. Starring Ivory Mordo Francisca as Jesse Rogers, Daniel A. Stevens as Charles Osgood, Jay Duong as Helix, Griffin Otto DeNiger as Mada and the Commandant, Maria Fernanda Vidorrazaga as Miss Eve, and Anne Hughes as the Maker Woman. This episode was written by J.T., directed by Fernanda, with dialogue editing by Anne, sound design by JT, and theme music by Samuel Kinsella. As always, you can find us online at RadioOutcast.com or follow us on Instagram at RadioOutcastPod and Twitter at Radio underscore Outcast. If you like what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or GoodPods. It helps us reach more listeners and gives us a chance to see what you all think of the show. If you aren't sure what to say but would still like to show your support, you can rate the show on any of those avenues as well, and now also on Spotify at the top of the Radio Outcast page right from your phone. If you'd like to help us grow, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash radio underscore outcast. With the season finale just one more episode away, Patreon will be the place for your Radio Outcast picks. During our month off in December, our patrons still got access to behind-the-scenes material, original scripts, and bonus content, including our very first Q&A session with our lovely producer and the voice of Emmy, Anne Hughes. But if that's too big of a commitment for you, if you become a patron at the Coda Tier for as little as $1 a month, you too could get a special shout-out at the end of our episodes, like... Nameless Thief once stumbled across Fort Kiev's remains on their journey charting the Midwest. remains following the Civil War. Rumor has it they heard word of a seer and turned around right after they marked down coordinates. Alan L., our rumored opera singer, may have never attended one of Fort Kyiv's bacchanalias, but he has stomped on cherries before. Man of many talents, this one. Lone Flats' favorite preacher, Andy S., once met with a member of his congregation to discuss the mysterious commune in Montana after the woman's son found meaning out in the orchard. The mysterious undertaker, Daniel W., was meant to set up shop in Montana near the fort early in his career, but a lost contract led him down a new path toward Lone Flats. Gnome H. grew up on a farm for many years before she left to make her own way and journey across the West. Aaron B. who told me they were paid in nothing but cherry-based alcohol on their last run to Miles City, Montana. During a tarot reading for a member of the commune two years ago, Chelsea S. pulled three cards, the Magician, the Ten of Swords, and the Tower. Susan D. looked for many ways to find fortune across the West, but at an old military base, she found a lot of luck at the card tables in Miles City before continuing her journey. Sebastian once met Mata back when the man still went by Adam at a general store. He claims Mata's smile was one of the kindest he received since he left home. Lisbeth S. took up an apron when she left the big city for Lone Flats. Her pie crust has become so infamous that a maker who once had a taste has worked day and night to replicate the buttery, crispy goodness for the fort's own desserts. Sarah F. is art cousins with Mata. Their teachers both came from the same town and the same mentor. Consuelo Yu struggled at one point with figuring out her own lot in life, whether she was destined to be a maker or thinker in her daily life. Luckily, she never lived in Fort Kiev and realized that she could be both. Fearless Lila once robbed a keeper on the road. They were sad to find barrels of fruit, but it was all made better when they found some of the harshest but hardest liquors they had ever, ever drank in the last drum. Melissa L. is arguably the best rock skipper around. She has won three rock skipping contests in a row, and it remains undefeated. Physics had a strict rule of trying any liquor before selling at the lone flat saloon. This has led him to have a high tolerance of most home-brewed hooch, if only due to the fact that a number of criminal contacts have asked for his opinion. Rax W. happened to see the wagons transporting all the bells for Fort Kiev's many bell towers. Patricia D. heard tale that many odd folks live near Miles City and has continued her criminal endeavors in other unsavory places. Val V. has time and time again tried to remember the punchline to Charles's favorite joke about a woman's missing calf, but failed to deliver each time. Juan Aurelio P. regularly makes deals with strange and sketchy individuals, but after many years of business, has said that the best way to avoid the poisonous snakes is to never trust a smile, especially when it's easy. Word Around Town says Kyrie O. Once bested a man in a foot race around Miles City. Marcos L. is said to have grown up with one of the young men to man Fort Kiev's massive doors. And, of course, there's also Patrick C., who, when asked about Montana, Miles City, and strange individuals, offered something better than Tall Tales, another cup of the best coffee in the West. To all of our patrons, thanks again. We really appreciate you, and we cannot emphasize that enough. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us on this journey. And safe travels.